DFB Paint Podcast back again with you. It's me, Corey, hosting it today. We got Steve and Brian hanging out with us again. Um, let's start with our rapid reaction. Or we want to go with, let's see, I'll give a story for everybody. Our dad used to tell us, don't embarrass the family. Every time we walked out the door and did whatever we were doing, that was the last thing he said to us, don't embarrass the family. So let's go in order of most likely to embarrass the family to least likely embarrass the family. We haven't even talked about this. Let's debate it over real quick and, and, and get who get down to who we think it will be. Wow. I'm going to sit over my words. Brian, who do you think uh, is the most likely to embarrass out of the family? I want I some finger pointing. I don't know if I'm ready to name who is most likely. I think I know who among the three of us is least likely, and I think that one's going to be Steve. Uh, the reason is that Steve is an extremely private person. So if he was going to do something that would theoretically embarrass the family, I feel like nobody would know or find out about it. Like, Steve is that person who, like, he'll tell you something, and the baseline expectation, it, it could be something uh, that has no bearing on anything important, like, my favorite artist is Beyonce. But he would expect you to have a, a built-in understanding that, like, this gets told to no one, you don't share this, and if you do share it, and he finds out from a third person, he, he would come to you and say, why are you telling people that I, my favorite artist is Beyonce? I'm like, well, because it is, first of all. Secondly, because you didn't tell me not to. Like, what what are these rules of privacy? So Brian, I think... you secrets on the pod right now. Steve, the, love, love the, This one isn't accurate. I, Steve can vouch when he talks about how much he likes Beyonce or not. But I just think in terms of him being a much more private individual than Corey or I, I would list him as the least likely to embarrass the family. I'll let y'all take it from there and no, help whittle it down. I, I need you to name who you think should be it. You got to go point, point a finger. Most likely. And it's not going to hurt my feelings. <laughs> I think it's... Well, it's I'm trying Mark. to think what sort of things would embarrass Mark, the right? family, you know? What's that? Y'all agree it's Mark. He's not here. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Yeah. We're, all, we're all going for second place. Um, yeah. Mark has enough poop my pants stories to, to go around <laughs> and that, that'll do it. Um I'm just trying to think what would really, really embarrass the family, and I don't know what that would be. So I think I have to nominate myself. You guys are both homeowners. You know, you've got more stable lives than I do. I'm, I work in insurance. Like, I should have dropped out of college if I wanted to work in insurance. Uh, but I didn't. I got a degree, and now what am I doing right now? I'll list myself, but I don't have any specific, like, oh, I'm going to go get a wild tattoo or something that would make dad just roll his eyes i've grown out my hair longer than i think the two of you have as a grown adult and that that would probably do the trick there you go. <laughs> Steve, what do you that's a that's a low bar to clear uh, so i i guess i, I guess in, in my head i'm surprised brian would say i'm not i mean some of that reasoning i guess makes sense the other the other thing i would think of is like man in high school like I am thrilled that I lived in a day where now everyone had smartphones and everything was recorded because I did some dumb stuff and we're not going to air it out here either. Um, you got up on the tel- table and yelled, never mind. Oh, goodness. No, <laughs> no, no, no. That's a deep cut. For, for I don't know how many people that are listening will, will understand that, but uh, <laughs> and that's probably for the best. But um, I, well, uh, no, that threw me off. Um, Sorry, <laughs> I just think like, yeah, like, those kinds of things not not that one specifically but just like those kinds of things like in high school i was yeah a great very grateful that i grew up in an era where that wasn't the case uh yeah. just because i've said lots of dumb things and so i would have said i would have put myself higher up on that but I, from brian's vantage point of like you know i'm private i don't share a whole lot yeah it's mostly because i was such an idiot back then so it's like i don't need to advertise that to everyone i'm, I'm good to just keep that to myself and 
Yeah. Know it to know it silently though. All right, so I need a finger pointing. Who do you who are you pointing at? Um, dude, I think it's Corey. I I think it's Corey. Uh, Corey is not afraid to speak his mind, and again, whether or not it, it depends on your which are you know how you define embarrassed, but like. Corey speaks truth to authority, and that might be something that uh, our parents, you know, would uh, consider an embarrassment sometimes, where it's not just like, you know what, this person's supposed to, you know, like, whether it's like a, a church youth leader or those kinds of things, uh, Corey was not afraid to, to, to speak his mind or to a teacher. So Steve, that, that, that's probably where I got it. I think you're putting it lightly. I, I do feel like it would be me, to be honest, because I am the most... I think I'm the, if, if a rebel, like none of us are really rebellious, but I'm, if I am rebellious, I'm open about it and I want you to know about it. And I'm going to throw it in your face a little bit because I don't want you to have power over me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I just let you have all that attention while I quietly rebel in the shadows over there yeah. where no one knows. So. I'm just laying the groundwork so that when you get caught, it's not as bad. That's what I'm hoping. That's a good big brother right there. Appreciate it. As, as good as you can ask for. All right, so I'll well, go first. I'll let you guys fight for a second, and then we'll go and third. Bri, you can go second. Okay. Right. So my reaction is, wow, what a weekend. We had top matchups, Texas versus Oklahoma. We had fun back and forth, LSU-Missouri. We had comebacks, Boise State down 27-7. Uh, USC down 17-0. Upsets, Louisville beating T Notre Dame. Maybe an upset. Oklahoma State beating Kansas State. Um, and then UCLA being Washington state. The only thing I forgot to do, um, at the end of all this was to take a knee and thank God for a great, great <laughs> weekend of football. Like, honestly, it was amazing. My reaction is going to be almost the exact same. L last week I had a gripe of like, there's just not quite enough chaos. You know, there needs to be more wild things happening this week, delivered everything that I was hoping for. And mostly in really exciting fashion, too. It wasn't like there was games that I was flipping away from. It was games that I have to constantly switch back and forth between because there's too much good stuff going on on the TV at the same time. Um, that, that 10 o'clock, or we're, we're mountain time, so 12 uh, noon kickoff, you have OU Texas, you have Missouri LSU, and what's the third big game I'm missing Maryland, right Ohio State. Maryland, Ohio State, and Maryland comes out slugging with them. And it's just, man, thank goodness for YouTube TV doing multi-view and, and starting to make my life a little bit easier. But gosh, this is this is everything I could have hoped for. And then I'm looking at next week's slate, and I'm going, oh, I'm just, I'm, we're going to get more of this. This is going to be phenomenal. Um, but this is, this is why I love college football so much. This is why among all the sports that I follow, I follow NBA, European soccer, pro football a little bit, not, not so much. Every sport I follow, college football is so high above the rest because of the wild nature of it where you have these big imbalances in talent sometimes and you see kind of where that matters and where it doesn't where there's you know a culture that matters more a coach that matters more or what sort of things can coalesce together on the right day so that a team can get an improbable result or show their their real quality in a way that's super impressive uh like we saw a few teams do this week so just just grateful for the great week of college football and uh yeah, excited to dig into all of it with you. Yeah, I think between the two of y'all, you hit on everything that I was going to say. So I'll just end with uh, our rapid round with uh, this quote from Bob Knight that uh, dumb loses a lot more games than smart wins. Who are you referring to, Steve? Mario Cristobal, <laughs> calling him by name. There's, there's a term he called wouldn't, he foreshadowing. Wouldn't take, he, he wouldn't take 
What'd you say, Brian? So this is a term called foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, he didn't take a whole lot of accountability in his post-game presser, uh, and then did a little bit today, like, I mean, kind of addressed it a little bit more head-on. The news media went after him a little bit today, too, which well, was... Well, that was the thing is, I think, and I don't, I may not have the timelines here correctly, but Shannon Dawson, I think, spoke with the media before Mario did and said, I made the call, and a bunch of people were like, oh my gosh, he's going to make his offensive coordinator fall on the sword. And and so I think that that started to get around. So he's like, I got to I got to put this to bed. It's my, you know, it's my, my decision. I, I call no excuses, can't do it. You know, I, I can't stand him. But uh, um, anyway, that was it. About that call, since we're even on it, like the fact that he, they, the fact that he wouldn't take accountability for it. I've heard like theories of like why they're doing it. But if you look back on every single game, they didn't kneel the ball that at, at the end of any games, they keep running the ball. That's kind of what he does. And that that's true. Like, so yeah, I, I, I got deep in the weeds on this one. Uh, we should, maybe wait. we should read for it or, or do you want to go into it? What? Should we go into it? Just, I'll, I'll be fast, right? Yeah. Like we don't need to, you know, recap the entire game here, but just, um, you're right. But also the rest of those games were all at least two score games, right? And, and that's where to me, the mentality has to change, right? If it's, if I'm blowing someone out, I am fine with you not taking these, right? Like put in your backups, get them as many plays as you can. I get that. Like there's that to me is completely defensible. And in fact, I think the smarter thing to do, like, Hey, those guys only get four or five reps. Let's get them six. Like that, that's 50% more reps than they get, you know, in, in a game. So I'm fine with that. But when the outcome is in jeopardy and you, you know, a, a turnover or a turnover on downs gives them an opportunity to score and take the lead, Totally different scenario, right? Completely different situation, and you need to coach accordingly, and they just didn't. All right. The big game of the week is was Texas-Oklahoma. It was a dandy to watch. You'll notice that we don't have just the three of us here, Steve, me, and Brian. You, we have Kyle, our cousin, a big OU fan, obviously in a good mood from this weekend, I imagine. Yes, sir. You know and, it the best. Yeah. And so we want to get his thoughts as we talk about this. So, Kyle, what were your initial thoughts of, of the game? Oh, man. Just initial thoughts to start off, uh, like, immediately after. Man, I had I, – it was a giant roller coaster of emotions uh, for me in it. So, I guess, initially, just looking back on it, it is a huge vindication for OU fans in general because OU fans immediately thought Brent Venables was an awesome hire. And I don't know if you guys saw um, – when he there, there there's a, a clip on YouTube you can watch of Brent Venables landing his plane landing in some little bitty airport in Norman Oklahoma and thousands and thousands of OU fans showed up at like midnight and it was just it it was like you know the president had just landed in Oklahoma it was a huge celebration we were so excited and then last year sucked <laughs> so bad <laughs> it, it it was so bad. And everyone is immediately like, dang, maybe he's just a coordinator. Maybe, maybe this dude can't coach. And so that's what everybody felt like they needed to see. Can this guy be a head coach? Um, and I think the, I think he tried to be the CEO type head coach last year. He tried to let his defensive coordinator, Ted Roof, manage the defense. And Ted Roof was with him at Clemson, knows what he likes to run. Um, 
He was completely, he's very, very hands off on the offense. He's letting Jeff Lebby do what Jeff Lebby wants to do. Last season, he learned that he's got to be in control of the defense um, because that's just that, that's how he gets involved. That's how he connects with the team better. And no one is doubting that decision this no, season. No, I think it's an excellent decision. One of the things I've kind of noticed is we've seen head coaches come in that are like offensive minded and they'll still call the plays. We haven't seen a ton of defensive coaches that like will stick their neck out and be that way. And I think Brent Venables has done this for the good. Bryce, what are your yep. thoughts? Specifically on that, I think the reason you don't see it is it's just harder to be a defensive coordinator than it is an offensive coordinator because the offense dictates what happens, right? Depending mm-hmm. on the personnel grouping that the offense sends out, my defense is going to change and my call is going to change. So it's mm-hmm. just more to be involved with. Uh, so I, I think that there's reasons why that ends up happening. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't – you know, that, that's, that's really good to have some, for lack of a better term, boots on the ground that kind of are, are a little bit more – connected and plugged in with what's going on with Oklahoma. So that's really interesting to see that, that change in philosophy. And obviously his record as a defense coordinator kind of speaks for itself, you know, had a really strong run at Oklahoma, you know, maybe a couple of seasons there and toward the end where things weren't quite where they were, but had a nice little career renaissance at Clemson and really has, has his team rolling right now. I'll be the first to say, I, I wasn't bullish on what Oklahoma could do this year. I feel like I got to like, Oh, I remember yeah, and I remember Steve. I've been watching. Yeah, yeah. and we appreciate your support. Hate watching is just as, as welcome as love watching, so we're fine with it. But no, I'm I'm very impressed. I you know got to see it coming. Still, I've got more to talk about on the game, but I'll I'll, I'll pause for a minute to talk just specifically Venables and give Brian a shot to, to chime in. Yeah, I actually just have a couple questions for you, Kyle, because I think if I'm not mistaken, last year you were at the Red River Shrike yeah. shootout. Um, yeah. which is very different than this year. So, like, how does it feel oh gosh. this year compared to last? And then the second question is you're potentially staring down. We're, we're many weeks away, but potentially staring down a rematch in a Big 12 title game. 100%. Given what yeah. you've seen, like, how confident are you going into that? Um, like, as far as, like, we're going to win or, like, we're in a good position, but it's still, like, a 50-50. So, uh, I guess to answer your first question, last year was, like, one of the most painful experiences of my life. And I was there in person and to make it even better. I don't know if you guys talked to Mark about it. Um, Brian, my brother had bought tickets on the Texas side. So we're all in crimson surrounded by longhorns and it was chippy there a little, uh, a little bit at the beginning. It, it, it quickly, quickly became not chippy at all because there was just no competition. And it from there on, everyone was looking at us in pity. And it was like, yep, yeah, we're we're still here. I know. Yeah, um, that was a horrible experience. Um, and then, uh, oh, I apologize. What was the second part of your question? Uh, second question is you're, you're looking at potential rematch in the Big Twelve yes, title game. Definitely. Given given what you've seen on the field, not only in this game but leading up to it, how confident are you in that, or do you feel like it's like coin me, flip at the end of the season potentially? To me, it's still it's still a toss up. I I would honestly predict that Texas is probably still going to be favored in that game, um, and I and I would probably agree with that. But I would bet that Vegas puts the line at a couple of points at three. Most. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Three. You know, so I I think they would probably be statistically favored. They have the talent, they have the experience as far as the coaching staff and the team goes. Um, I was looking up a whole bunch of random stats here. 76% of 
OU's roster is in their first or second year with the program. Wow. So anyways, just really, really inexperienced with the program in general. Texas has them in just about every category, to be perfectly frank. Um, so I would expect Texas to be favored in that game. Complete coin flip to me. Um, but I bet it's a I bet it's another one that comes down to just a couple of plays and gonna be super, super tight. But I, I fully expect that barring disaster between those two teams, they're going to see each other again in Arlington at the end of the season. And the winner of that is probably going to go to the playoff. Let me throw a question out to you guys. How crazy would it be if this is a possible scenario? Can the big 12 be the conference with two teams in the playoff this year? No, you don't think so? Not at all, Corey. I say yes. I say yes. I I think if Oklahoma wins, let's let's say if Texas wins the Big Twelve, Oklahoma gets in. They don't have a marquee win besides Texas that they can. Well, okay, it can't happen in a vacuum, right? You're going to need some help. What, oh, here, here, let me paint you the scenario. Uh, number one, Bama wins the SEC. That's mm. the first thing that has to happen. If Bama wins the SEC, you get the ace because Texas beat them. You beat yep. Texas. Yeah. Uh, two. You need the Pac-12 to do the round robin. Just everyone beats everyone up. Like everybody eats each other, and that's what always happens in the Pac-12. So until we see otherwise, I'm inclined to believe that that's probably going to happen. Big domino is going to fall this coming week when Washington and Oregon play, of course. But um, you know, so you get those two things, and I think you've got a really good opportunity. The other thing that you need is a non-round robin in the Big Ten. You need Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State to beat each of the other two. If you do that. And you need the ACC. I mean, you have three teams that are undefeated that don't play each other. You could potentially have three undefeated teams. There is a disaster scenario out there yeah. for, for the for the selection committee, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that that's what happens. If you do that, and especially if you have the Big Ten champ beat the other two and then lose to Iowa in a freak game in the in – the, like, I, I'm saying sure. Iowa. It may not be Iowa. It might be Wisconsin. It might be someone else. Who knows? But I, I think there is a scenario where the Big 12 gets to. And that – you know. What kind of salt in the wound for the conference would it be? It's like, okay, the two best teams go, not only do they go to the championship and everyone's like, oh, we got to celebrate these two teams that we don't actually like because they're leaving, but then they both go to the playoff and it's like, where on earth has this been the last 10 years? It would be two giant middle fingers to the whole conference. See you guys. We're out. Now, along those lines, retroactively. Now, that actually brings up one more final question. Well, final question for me. I don't, I don't want to cut this short, but like, I know in the past, how is how have Oklahoma fans reacted to the news that they're going to the SEC? Because I, I seem mm. to hear a lot of chirping from the Oklahoma contingent about how the sec was you know i mean bob stoops led that charge forever yes and he was like man it's up it's propaganda i mean he said that and we documented he was four and over to the sec after he said like all the hype around the sec was just propaganda yeah media propping them up and i i saw he's towing the company line saying well we, we, we had to make a move how do you feel about it when I first heard it, I was like, why would you want to leave a conference that you are the king of? Um, I know Texas is the bigger brand money-wise and publicity-wise. Totally get it. But if you look at just who is running the Big 12, it's been Oklahoma. Oklahoma has been running that conference. And it's like, as long as you keep doing what you're doing, you've got a surefire path almost every single season to get to the playoff and thus the national title game. Why would you want to leave that? 
But then when you look at it as far as dollars and cents go, and when you look at what happened to the Pac-12, which there's a lot of blame to go around. I put a ton of blame at the commissioner's feet because you have to secure your conference's future. That is your number one job. And if crap's going down, you got to be proactive at getting that secure. Um, and who I can't remember his name right now, but I remember George Playoff There you go. Yeah, he had a conference where he said the longer we wait, the more options we have. That is one of the stupidest things the commissioner could possibly have said in the current scenario. Um, because everyone's like, no, no, you got to get it done. You got to get it secured now. No, that's you're what... on the Titanic. The longer it's, you wait, exactly the more people going are going to drown. Yeah. yeah. The other conferences can't wait to pick off your teams. You got to get something solidified and it's got to be purdy because you want to have these big programs to stick around. Um, that's why, you know, lots of them came to the big 12. I mean, Brett, your mark, never been in sports before, but he knows media and he immediately got a, a deal negotiated and wasn't as good as the Big Ten or the SEC. It never was going to be. And he was realistic about that. Um, but it was and secure. You're looking at like 15 million a year almost yeah. left. In yeah. The future. Yeah. And, and it was it was secure enough that other programs were like, okay, this is attractive to us now. And yeah. people jumped in, you know? Um, so my thoughts on it now are I, I'm, I'm excited to have what's going to feel like, you know, a conference championship game dang near every weekend. Um, we're not going to have any more 11 and one, 10 and two seasons. I feel like, you know, we, we're going to have to be like nine and three. That's dang good. You know? Eight and four, solid. You know, we're we're just gonna have to get used to that. Texas because A&M? you can't play what was that? Is it like Texas AM? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately a little bit. You can't play Alabama and LSU and then have Tennessee come to town and then go to Ole Miss and come out of that unscarred. You just it's it's just not gonna happen. I mean that's I'll, I'll be honest though, they they are you look at Ole Miss, you look at Tennessee, sorry, they aren't recruiting at the level that Oklahoma is. So And they're and they're not. And Brett Venables has that was another thing that was really cool about Brett Venables coming in. One of the reasons why Lincoln Riley was public about why he left. He felt like he couldn't recruit at the level he wanted to in Oklahoma. The first year Brent Venables is here, his recruiting class is higher ranked than any class that Lincoln Riley had. The, in, in year one. And then even after a six and seven season, he's still in, he, he, he's got five stars on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. When was the last time Oklahoma had five star defensive linemen coming in? Anyways, um, so I think we could be one of those top top SEC teams. I don't think we're gonna be at Georgia Alabama level, um, but I do feel like we could be competing for that third or fourth spot in the sec in a couple of years with the with the the way that we're going so it, it does feel I, like that tier right beneath a georgia or alabama seems to have a revolving door in the sec you see lsu will yeah. come up to it and auburn will come up to it and florida will come up to it but it's you look at two of those teams now and you go oh they're not very good at all um yeah and that's kind of how it's been it's like you, you each person takes their season uh and i think oklahoma is really well positioned to be a little bit more like an LSU than an Auburn, you know, kind of more consistently yeah. in the chase. Uh, if, you know, not in the top, but like 
I, I don't expect super down years either. Like I think there is a you know kind of a beat up on that team tier of the SEC still. You still have Mississippi State. You still have Vanderbilt. Um, Missouri mm-hmm. looks good this year, but like traditionally, you still have Missouri. So there are teams that like, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got that top layer, and it's really impressive. And and we're gonna see four, five, six playoff teams out of the SEC. Uh, but yeah. there is still you know some more surefire wins. I would say surefire because nothing's sure in college football, but but more mm-hmm. likely wins that, that you'll be able to collect as well. And I think Oklahoma's one who probably wouldn't drop those sort of games uh, as yeah. consistently as some of these SEC teams do. I, I agree with you. I think it, Sorry, Corey, I interrupted you. I apologize. No, you should. I, I'm going to say what you need to, and then we'll just jump to the game. Okay, sorry. Um, I, it, it'll be interesting because uh, Oklahoma has had uh, has been so solid and stable for so long. We, uh, the Oklahoma prefers it that way, right? There's a lot of SEC programs. You got three or four years to win, and if you don't win, you're out. Oklahoma does not want to be operating that that way. Um, if Lincoln Riley had stayed, he would have been in for 18 years like Bob Stoops. That's how Oklahoma wants it to run. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see how that will work against some of the SEC programs that kind of can be fire happy sometimes, you know, so that'll be kind of interesting to see how that works. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look at other programs that are starting to do that. I mean, at Florida State, I, we're Florida State fans and, and Norvellas, they, they, they function the same way. They will fire you if you are, everything's a shambles in the front and everything's a shambles in the back and they don't see any opportunity to go away. You know, you yeah. get 18 games, but <laughs> <laughs> But moving on to the actual game, um, right. it was amazing game. I mean, you look at Oklahoma's defense, they came out aggressive. They came out flying. The thing I liked about the, this defense is they were going to try and dictate terms to mm-hmm. to Texas's offense a little bit. They were going to try and put Texas on the back heel and, and see what happens. And the interesting thing is, is you're going to get burned, right? It's just a matter of yeah. can you make more plays. And right from the get-go, we see boom, boom, interception, interception. They're making plays. Mm-hmm. Steve, give me your thoughts on the game. Well, I guess the to me the beginning and end of this game was lines of scrimmage. Um, I, I felt like going into the game, I thought Texas had the advantage on the defensive line. I thought that their offensive line would hold their own. I don't think I necessarily gave much of an advantage either way there. I, I really wasn't sure what to expect with Oklahoma's defensive line faced with what, in my opinion, is the best offensive line that they they will face all year. Um, obviously, the, the center being out contributes to that to a certain degree. They, Quinn Ewers didn't have a ton of time to throw the football. I felt like he was on the run quite a bit. Uh, they didn't run the football consistently. I, I was stunned, frankly, at both the offensive and defensive lines of Oklahoma. I thought watching that Alabama game, Texas whooped the Alabama offensive line. And I expected a similar effort. Um I think that we all talked about we were kind of considering the under in that game, uh, and, and that's why. I thought that this would be a defensive struggle. And, and I think we got lots of defensive plays, but mostly it was on, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's, it was just a really interesting game to see. Like, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, Texas's defensive line is really not making a lot happen. Um, and so credit, is it Biedenboe? Is that how you say Bill it? Bill Biedenboe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Call he had his bags. He, uh, yeah, well, he he and his players secured a couple bags. Uh, they put a lot of good tape out there for the next level. I was very impressed with that offensive line. And then, yeah, to to my surprise, the amount of 
domination, maybe that's too strong a word, but perhaps not. Like, I mean, the sooner defensive line, yeah, just just the sooner defensive line beat Texas up front. It forced mistakes. It forced, uh, you know, it sped things up. It prevented uh, those kind of longer developing plays that, you know, that's how Texas beat Alabama was really throwing the ball down the field. I don't know how many of those, I, you know, I don't have that number right in front of me, but it didn't feel like there was a whole lot of challenging Oklahoma down the field because there just wasn't time to do it. The defensive front was just that, that imposing. Yeah, yeah for I me, can't. Oh, sorry, bro. I, I was just going to say, for me, it looked like uh, Ewers threw the ball like 0.2 seconds faster than he wanted to on almost every play. Bingo. And that was the thing. It was like, even the ones that didn't result in sacks, and there were plenty of sacks on the day, it looked like if it was a, a you know a play action where he's rolling out to the side, he turned around and there's just a defender a little bit closer than he was expecting, and everything was just a little bit out of rhythm that way. Um, and that was the thing that I think led to those turnovers. Like turnovers sometimes get attributed to luck um, because there is luck elements of certainly fumbles, but interceptions as well. With you know bad passes happen, and sometimes you can't predict them. I think a lot of those turnovers are very earned in terms of what Oklahoma was doing defensively and mixing things up and getting to getting the pressure on early. Um, I think just Oklahoma from a also had a mentality to go get turnovers. You watched every single time that they were running the ball, every time that there was a ball passed, they were clawing at balls. They were trying to, to rip balls out. They were going to, to knock balls down. Huge so, hits. Mentality. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anything encapsulates that more core than what you're talking about than that freaking goal line stand. Oh, yeah. It was Huge. first and goal from the one-yard line, and they they stopped him. I still can't believe that happened. It was unbelievable. We, Oklahoma has not seen a defense like that in decades. Like, it, 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 was, it was fantastic. I, I, I couldn't believe – it, it was just phenomenal, phenomenal effort, and yeah, just incredible, incredible to watch. Yeah, and to Ryan, me, that, that stand is like the. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Ty. I would say that stand is the the moment of the game for me overall. Like there was a lot of moments in this game. In the first six minutes, you have a uh, successful fake punt, you have two interceptions, and you have a punt block for a touchdown. So there's a lot of moments uh, to pick out, and that's that's again first six minutes of the game. That goal line stand, I was a little surprised, at least in some point, you didn't see Texas go to their short yardage where they take out yours, they get the extra blocker yeah. in. But even still, I would have receivers. And I would have expected that they – no, you're right on. I would have expected still, like, regardless of that, you could punch it in at some point. Yeah. Very, very impressive because not only did they keep him out three times or four times, they pushed him back a couple times, which ends up being crucial so that you can, you can yeah. keep him out in the last one. Um, and that, that is just, I don't know, the penetration they were getting on the interior from that to blow plays up so quick, it, is, it just makes it so that it's life is so much harder. If you can't win in short yardage yeah. on offense, now you're kind of, your head's spinning as far as what do I do when I get in those situations? Because now i got to continue to be creative and I can't just say, I'm going to let my best guys and run at you. Because um, well, overall, that's that flat. Yeah, 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 that's exactly right. That, and that's why you do it is because three times you go, we weren't good enough. They were better than us, didn't they? We got to get the ball somewhere else. And so. and you're you're exactly right. The 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 passes that they had lots of success on. I can't think of a of a deep pass either that Quinn Ewers had all day. I don't think he had a deep pass that was successful. It was like you know, uh, like an RPO or, or or something like that. You know what I mean? It was it was not a very it was, you know, kind of a medium, medium pass. I would have gone, I would have stayed away from that line, especially on the fourth down. 
They shut you down three times. We've got really, really tall receivers. We can, and it's one of the best receiving cores in the country. Let, let's yeah. let those guys make plays. Um, but anyways, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not complaining about the decision by <laughs> any means. Um, well, the, the fourth down, he throws the slant, right? He just throws it before he's in the end like, zone. It's, it it's was a like, screen. So yes, yeah. Yeah. there's two guys out and they're throwing it to, uh, he was still behind the, the yeah. mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, you'd but. think like that's, you know, Jordan Whittington time or something on, on the outside. Exactly. You know, start, start to yeah. use your height, use your size, but Jatavion Sanders, which I guess he was injured, but then they had, they had the, the, um, uh, who was their backup tight end? Who had a great play and a touchdown on us? Uh, Helm, I believe, is the last Helm, one. I, I can't so remember too. his first yeah, name. Another, another big, tall dude. It's like, anyways, yeah. And I don't want to go through this whole uh, breakdown of the game without mentioning the name Dylan Gabriel because, man, what a performance. True. <laughs> uh, it, it was man. very – for those of you who watched uh, the late game and saw USCing the things that Caleb Williams was doing, Dylan Gabriel was doing very similar stuff, in my opinion, as far as, like, Hey, when stuff is collapsing around me, and some of these are design draw plays, but a lot of these are, are him taking yeah. what's what's there. Um, yeah, and just being well. the gamer in the moment. T- to me, I was looking at him versus yours, and I go, yours is the one who has more talent in parentheses, yep. but more it factor, more in the moment gamer. It seemed very clear Dylan Gabriel is the one who kind of had the feel of the game a lot better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'll be honest. From my opinion, like Steve says, like he felt like Texas's defensive or offensive line, like or sorry, Oklahoma's offensive line did a good job protecting him. I felt like it was breaking down quite often, and Gillen Gabriel was able to make good use of it, get out of there. And he, I mean, he ran for 113 yards. I yeah. don't think any, hardly any of that was designed. Um, but you, you kind of watch him. He was kind of just a little Houdini in the pocket. I'll find him the right spot. Maybe I just float up a little touchdown over the top of the people to win the game, you know. Or if he mm-hmm. needs to you know, maneuver, it looks like it's going to be a sack, and he's kind of all of a sudden out, and he's picking up a first down. He played very well. He, he really did, and that was another thing. Last year, obviously, we all know what happened when Dylan Gabriel got hurt. There was literally no one behind him. Our backup quarterback was the tight end in Red River. <laughs> Anyways, that's what happened. So this year, uh, Jackson Arnold is our backup quarterback. I don't know if you guys you know yeah. follow recruiting. Five aware. Yeah. yeah, okay. So really, really, really talented guy. Um, and Maybe so that's like okay. Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> Let's be yes. Real. Hundred um, yeah. percent. The main talking, not the main talking point, but a huge talking point among Oklahoma fans was: Can we just start Jackson Arnold over Dylan Gabriel? He was only okay last year. This kid already looks awesome. You know, if Dylan Gabriel gets hurt, maybe that'll be a good thing for Oklahoma this year. You know, lots, lots of all this kind of stuff. And I don't think anyone's still arguing that Jackson Arnold is absolutely the future and that he's more talented than Dylan Gabriel. Um, but, man, you cannot beat somebody who's just got giant gorilla balls. And that's what Dylan, that's what Dylan Gabriel's got, man. Like, you just – the game is on the line. I'm going to go make something happen. And you, you can't beat that. I don't think you can teach that either. And to be frank, if, I'm, if I got a talented guy, talented young guy, I want somebody like that ahead of him so he can be like, Oh, that's the standard. That attitude is the standard. That discipline and that that drive is like what I'm going to be working for. If I can combine that with how just awesome I am naturally, I think Oklahoma at the quarterback position is going to be good in the future. But yeah, Dylan Gabriel lots of times just put the game on his shoulders and ran with it. And he he he's 
solidified him into the Oklahoma mythology forever. No, at this point, everyone is like, that's the quarterback. Jackson Arnold, you're awesome. He's the quarterback until otherwise. That's just how it works now. So speaking of him, he moves up in the Heisman top r- ranking odds. Yeah. He moves up to like fourth or fifth. Third um, best odds is what I saw today, but I don't know. I could. I- I've seen yeah. Michael Penix is at first. I've seen Caleb Williams at second. I've seen Bo Nix up there. Then, then I saw Gabriel and then Jordan Travis and Ewers. That's what gotcha. that's my top were looking at DraftKings this morning. Gotcha. Okay. Like, I can't remember I where I saw it. Like, do we say no, Jaden Daniels in that mix? Who? He's somewhere. He's, he's a little bit mix. lower down. The LSU yeah. quarterback. Yeah, yeah he's a little he's bit lower down, but it... in in a bad spot. But yeah, so what do you guys think? Does he have a chance? I think it's yeah. I mean, who who's had a better game this this season? Like uh, as far as like a Heisman moment, has there been a better one than that drive at the end of the game? Mm. No, there hasn't been a better Heisman not, moment. Not yet, no. and usually you have to have at least one of those moments. So right now, That's that that doesn't make him absolute front runner because you still have loads of talented people out there, but somebody's going to have to top it. He's set the standard, I think. And that's. Yeah. yeah so I think, by the way, according to DraftKings, it is Michael Penix Jr. at plus 210. Caleb Williams at plus 230. Bo Nix at plus 600. Gabriel at plus 1200. Travis, which I think is, this is ridiculous. At plus 1600. I don't think they a shot. Drake May plus 1800. JJ McCarthy 2200. And Quinn Ewers plus 3000. Jaden gotcha. Daniels is plus 3,500, tied with Brock Bowers. <laughs> tied with gotcha. Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers <laughs> needs to be higher. <laughs> but, yeah, I, my only concern of, is how many more moments will Dylan Gabriel have like that? How many more opportunities does he get one. like that? Really one, and it's in the championship game, right? Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, week, so that would be the only – I'm sorry? The two days before the votes are due? Yeah, yeah exactly. it, where many of them are already turned in. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so that that would be the one question is like, does this have the staying power? Yep. Again, if they stay in the race, pro- probably. But but that that'd be the concern. Uh, I think it's kind of genius. Like, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but like low key, all of the best Pac-12 games have now moved into that 330 slot because they don't want to be so late that people aren't paying attention. That's so, a really good move. Have you seen that? Yeah. So, no. like, Washington, Washington, Oregon this week is at one thirty. Uh, yes. One thirty Mountain Time, three thirty Eastern. I should say. Should clarify, but uh, and you know, that's a lot. A lot of the Colorado games being at noon. You know, they want the eyeballs, and they're, and they're accommodating it with in terms of the what time the the game kicks. So, you're gonna see something from the winning quarterback of that one's gonna get a whole lot of buzz. Uh, Bo Nix. I feel like I can't go on the sports like on any sports page without getting a bunch of bonex advertisements, which is like, all right, Phil Knight, like we, we get it. <laughs> we get it. Like, yeah, he's, I think he's this, he's kind of that consolation where he's like, I probably won't see a national championship before I pass. So I might want to just get another Heisman. Um, there you go. Anyway, but, but like, that's, that's really the only thing standing his way. But yeah, I mean, with that, Brian makes a, an excellent point. Like, is there a better moment? I don't think so. I don't have one. I, I would say at this point in the season, probably not. But Caleb Williams is still out there. I don't see USC doing very well against the upcoming state that they have. But if they do, it will be because Caleb Williams saves them, and those will be his Heisman moments, and he'll get the votes. Definitely. Out. I was watching you know the I mean? podcast, and they were talking about how they thought 
USC without Caleb Williams was like a seven and five team. I don't think they're wrong. I don't think they're wrong no, either. No, that's totally right. <laughs> they're yeah. almost a they're almost a four and two team with him. Like <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Final takeaways from the game, Brian. You want to give us your final takeaways? Yeah, Oklahoma is a lot better than I thought they were. Um, I took the Texas point spread on this one. Texas was minus five at the time when I was looking at it. Now, I, I mean, I, don't, I think not only Oklahoma could win the, the Big 12, but I think if they get into that playoff, they are a problem for anyone. Um, I, I don't see a single team that could roll over Oklahoma. Um, or, or come, like, you know, Michigan, I think, has looked really, really good through all facets. But I'm like, that matchup looks looks pretty Oklahoma good to me. And so it's one of those things where it's like my perspective has shifted on like, yeah, they're better than I thought, but also it's like, I don't know a team that I'm confident I could say, yeah, they're going to beat Oklahoma in the whole country. And that's way ahead of where I thought they'd be coming off of what happened last year. Um, so big kudos to, to Venables and the staff and everybody on that team fighting the way they do. Yeah, you lost your leading receiver, um, leading yardage-wise receiver for the season now. That will be something to, to make up for, but I yep. I still think they're, they're going to be doing amazing work down the stretch. So, yeah, that, that that's the big takeaway for me is I had a perception of Texas, and I think it hasn't changed too much from that game. My perception of Oklahoma uh, has improved dramatically um, through an incredible showing. Steve? Similar, yeah. Uh, again, I, I don't necessarily take anything, like, away from Texas. I think they are who I thought they were. Um, Oklahoma brought it and it was just two great teams one i felt earned it play in and play out a little bit more i'd be interested to see i don't know what the word is on the 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 center from texas i'm curious to see how that changes a potential rematch um i don't know if it makes up all the difference but again the the difference is only a, a handful of points so um you know I don't know. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited that that the potential for them to rematch, like Brian said, Oklahoma's I think squarely in the playoff hunt now, and yeah, it's just refreshing. I'm going to take it even like a higher level than that. It's just refreshing to be like, man, I could see like seven or eight teams right now where it's like if someone like you know rolled up to my house in a DeLorean and said, hey, I'm from the future, and this team wins the national championship, I'd be like, yeah, I can see that. You know, like. Uh, so and it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like that's been the case and then for the last five or six years. We start making some crazy bets, man. Oh, we would go wild. We'd yeah, go yeah. in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I don't feel like that's been the case. I feel like the last few years has been like, okay, I know I can name within these four teams or these three teams, and sometimes even these two teams. I, I, if I have them against everyone else in the country, I know I've probably picked the, the national champion. So this year is exciting. It's fun. I'll give you my thoughts real quick, and then I'll let Kyle have the last say. I, I'm mm. nervous about the rematch here. Quinn Ewers started off terribly, but he ended up 31 for 37. That's an 83% completion rate. He, he was 9.4 yards per attempt, which is right on average what he's been all season. If you look at his season stats, the only the big thing was turnovers. And can you continue? Can you always rely on turnovers? Can you force turnovers all the time? I they are a little bit of luck. We, I do think this Oklahoma team has the tenacity, but I think if there's a rematch, I think Texas could win close. But I also and I, I love this Oklahoma team defense. It's like probably my favorite defense to watch this year. I think there's a chance that Texas could blow that next game wide open. Um, and I'm going to be real about it. I called, and oh. also Bryce, I called called this. So um, just FYI. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Hang on to those receipts, man. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
I am. So, no, dude, I, I agree with you, to be frank. It, it, that that game absolutely could get out of hand because, yeah, one of the questions about Quinn Ewers was he get he he starts to fumble when he gets under pressure, you know, and he starts to mess up. And that was his, his reputation last year. That just wasn't the case. Um, he got better as the game went on. Um, that That's absolutely the case. I don't know how the rematch will go, but I fully expect the rematch to happen. Um, I will say that I feel like if our offense, it, it, even with our offense where it's at, um, there was a couple turnovers, for instance, the fumble, and I think the second reception where we actually left points on the board. We still could have scored more than what we did get off of them. And so there's potential there for th- this could have been a 10-point win. It could have been – if things went better, it could have been a 14-point win. And so I, I would fully expect Texas, if when we if, when we see them again, I fully expect to see them again, that they're going to be bringing it and Quinn Ewers is going to be bringing it. Um, but I also think Brent Venables and this team knows that. And they schemed up perfectly for this match, and I fully expect them to be just as insane – for the rematch because we've got no other challenges again until Texas. Not that we can't take anybody seriously, but I mean, we, we, we have to, right. You know, um, but we all know the next game, the next real challenge is Texas again. And if I'm, if I'm Brent Venables and if I'm this team that starts right now that we're well, prepping for that. It is a hard thing to, to win twice. Uh, us as four state yeah. fans know back in 1996, we beat a Florida team that was much more talented than we were. And then in the championship game, we played them again. Like it was like four weeks later, we played them again and we got our kicked. So yeah. hopefully this, the, that doesn't happen to you guys. Hopefully, hopefully not. I know that happened with Alabama and Georgia just a couple of years ago. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Cool. So any other th- thoughts before we move on? Kyle, Boomer. Join us. And yeah, we sooner for you. You get to say it all ways. Thanks again for joining us. We love you, buddy. We'll catch you later. Thanks. Love you guys. All right. Well, we all know that one was a dandy. Moving on to the other games of this this week. Uh, let's start with Nebraska, Illinois. Nebraska wins 20-7 to in a um, high-scoring affair against Illinois. Steve, what are your thoughts? This one was just the, the greatest game to watch, frankly. And and it's I think we've talked about this. So there's an episode of Seinfeld where he's got the in on a horse that likes running in the rain. He's like, he's a mutter. He loves the slop. Well, this was a game for those people who love the slop, and I just thought it was a riot. So I, I did not catch the whole game, but for those following on Twitter, you got a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a preview into this. Uh, let's see. Hold on, I'm going to pull up the whole thread and just read it real quick. So flip to the Illinois Nebraska game and saw Nebraska fumble in the red zone, two batted passes from Illinois, a fumbled snap from Nebraska, and now a pick thrown by Nebraska. And it feels like probably a perfect summary of the game in about eight plays. And sure enough, I was right. And then a few plays later, update, another pick, this time by Illinois. Update, another red zone fumble by Nebraska. This game's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And then I tweeted out a gif about, have some more Slappy Joes, because I can't remember what happened, man. I didn't even give it one. And that's a wrap. Huskers went ugly in Champaign. Fun one, but not very clean. It was just awesome. This, yeah, two bad teams, and and it showed. It was fun. Why do we glory in some bad teams? Like, I don't go watch high school football for that reason but I'll watch college football for that. I think it's, for me, it's the associate, like I've, I've got brands that I associate with. And so it's like, it's, 
is, is it bad? Like, I know Nebraska's been down for forever. It's just so fun to kick them still. Like, I just, like, I just love it. So, uh, good on them. Like, I do hope that they come back at some point. Like, and I think Matt Rule might be the guy to do it. You know, he's he's one of those guys that's not going to win, like, a bunch of recruiting battles. He's going to develop. I, I think that's what you need at Nebraska at, at this stage of their, you know, evolution as a program from like a dominant power to this like oh wait now everyone's on tv and not everyone recognizes nebraska and only nebraska i think that's where they have to pivot but it was just a fun game where it's like what what are we doing (laughs) you got to think at some point the players are aware that like man this just looks terrible this just makes us all look bad at some point you got to know that right you've got the gifts from the miami game going what are we doing um (laughs) I'm sure they're aware, you know. All right, Brian, you have anything to say on on that one, or should we move on? Uh, just quickly, surprising to see Illinois. Just I, I know you're down for a lot of the game or a decent portion, but put the whole game on Altmaier's shoulders. He's still a young quarterback, and they ran the ball almost not at all uh, throughout the game. I think it, beneath 20 carries, he had 47 passes uh, on the day. Interesting strategy. That, that's all. I think he's a talented kid, but interesting strategy. I don't, I don't think they could run the ball as part of it. They, they've shown that over several games now where it's like, all right, I guess we have to chuck it around the yard. All right, let's move on to Oklahoma State, Kansas State. One that we kind of all talked about. We were like, eh, Oklahoma State's terrible, but everything swung back their way this week. Steve, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, watched that one start to finish, and then I switched over to the Nebraska-Illinois game. So that's, that's kind of why I came in about halfway through that Nebraska, maybe a little bit more than halfway through. Man, uh, uh, Oklahoma State played a good game. I am more – to me, this is more concerning about Kansas State than it is about Oklahoma State riding the ship. Um, Will Howard threw several ill-advised passes, and I, I – you know, we'll have to see – Going going forward, uh, what adjustments they make. Maybe it's to just get caught. It's a Friday night in, uh, gosh, where even is? It's Stillwater. That's Stillwater. where it is. So, like, Friday night, I can't imagine there's a ton to do there. So, maybe it was like, oh, we're all going to go to the Oklahoma State game. And it was an insane environment. Like, it was, like, I'll give them credit for that. But, well, I, like, I just, yeah, this this to me, I was more concerned with Kansas State uh, putting a ball in, in jeopardy and, and in harm's way several times. Uh, although I I gotta give credit to Alan Bowman, he's the he looks like the guy we saw at Texas Tech for a couple of years there before he had a bunch of injuries pile up. So uh, maybe Mike Gundy's working that QB magic once again. Found a guy and he's now that he's stuck with him, he's gonna start playing to his strengths. And you know, this that team's not devoid of talent. They had you know, their running back was was pretty pretty impressive. They had a couple of wide receivers that I was like, man, where has this been? Like where have these guys? been in terms of making plays on the outside uh their defense played with a lot of intensity which colin oliver i think that was the first time i'd heard his name really said all season yeah um so maybe maybe this is a springboard that oklahoma state needs so maybe maybe the pokes get things turned around now that they're starting to find a little bit of an identity but to me i'm worried about kansas state going forward i i kind of had them in the top third of the conference and I, I still think they're probably there but they're probably the lowest team in that top third and they've got a pretty tough slate going forward in terms of they they do play most of the who's who do they play both oklahoma and texas i know they play texas i don't i'm pulling it up right now do they play oklahoma no they dodge no. oklahoma so um 
so there, there's still an opportunity for them, but they gotta they gotta write the ship for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, Ohio State, Maryland. Oh, Brian, I didn't give you a chance. Do you want to say something? Uh, Will Howard is a concern. You, you know, your defensive line is not what it was last year, and that was that showed up. Will Howard, you gotta hope this is just like an off day, and we can get back to to a regular scheduled programming with him because I we have seen him be a really good quarterback last year and at times this year you can't have this start to spiral and have him make as many because he had three interceptions on that day he had a lot more questionable throws outside of those three interceptions yeah. so that that that's the that's the part for me if you can get him on track you should still be pretty okay this is a pretty soft big 12 but if not then you, you're gonna have trouble with just about anyone gotcha um, Ohio. Oh, sorry. Ohio State, Maryland. The final score I think ends up being thirty-seven, seventeen. They cover the spread with a three with a field goal with two minutes left. I was not happy about that. Um, if you, if you guys know, um, I watched this game. Maryland comes out and puts some points on the board, but then some bad plays by by Tagovailoa uh, that kind of keep Ohio in the game. Ohio State in the game even when their offense is sputtering. Uh, there was a pick six. Um, to make it 10-7, and then poor play, poor, poor game management at the end of the half. They're driving, they're up 17-10, to 10, and they're at like the 20 or 15-yard line, I can't remember, I, I texted you guys this at one point in time, and he throws a ball over the middle, and like, what are you doing? Like, don't do that, and then they don't even get up to the line to get a playoff when they could have just kicked a field goal. Got, I mean, you could have gone up 20-10, to 10, and then if you put a touchdown on the board, you're up 27-10, to 10, yeah, to start off the or the, the second half, like just bad gameplay in that oper- in that no- moment. Uh, Ohio State's offense finally gets rolling um, at the in the second half, and I mean I think their quarterback throws for like 300 yards, but it's still kind of like I think it's watching the game. You'd be like, "Whoa, I'm surprised he threw for 300 yards," um, but then they they kind of shut the door on Maryland. Their their defense bows up. Maryland doesn't score another point for the rest of the game, and that's game over. Sad for me, but, you know, happy for Ohio State fans. What are your thoughts? Bry? To, to me, it's just you got to take your opportunity when you have it. And there was a window open at the beginning of this game, and Maryland started to take advantage and then promptly gave it right back. Um, yep. And if you want to upset these big games, cause I think they did have a legit shot. You know, they lost by like 20, but if they had been a little bit more opportunistic, uh, specifically with that last drive and with not, you know, not jump-starting the point scoring for Ohio State. This would have been a really interesting game in the fourth quarter, I think. But you have yeah. to be more opportunistic, and they ultimately weren't. So in the you end, it would be like Wyoming. Not, you know, they had yeah. four possessions in their first half. They scored twenty, like four points, and they don't score for the second half. They but hang they end on. Up Ohio State, like if you're yeah, efficient. You have a chance to do that. Steve, yeah, what do you you're only going to get so many windows, and you got to take advantage of all of them. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, we don't do the little the game turned win segment anymore. But I felt like yeah, that end of the half was a game turned win. Did you see the Ohio State bench sprint into yes. the locker room Celebrate. like they had just won, like because they got a stop? And yeah, I felt like yeah, the air went out of that that Maryland sideline. They just never regained it in the second half. I agree. The lack of situational awareness was was a little bit disappointing there. I did see some people on Twitter like. With it being like a huge referendum on Talia Tagovailoa, and I was like, okay, I don't, I don't know if I I'd go that far, but um, yeah, you'd like to see situational awareness from him, and and then if you're the receiver, 
if the QB throws you a ball and you're like, I know I'm not beyond the sticks and I know I'm not going to be able to get out of bounds, like maybe drop it, like <laughs> um, uh, intentionally just to give yourself another chance. You're right. There's a, an opportunity missed there because a field goal or a touchdown puts you up two scores. I think they were up 17 10. Yep. And so they could have kicked the field goal, gone up 20 10, or scored a touchdown, been up 24 10. Um, totally different game if that's the case. Oh, no, you're, you're good. Um, so, so that was really the, the, the my big takeaway. And Ohio State, yeah, they got it rolling in the second half. But even then, it felt clunky. I was, I just, that's the best word I can use to describe the offense. I, I think it will smooth out some, but maybe this just is who Ohio State is. Like, um, and they're going to have to win with defense. I think they have the defense to do it. Oh, I hundred percent agree with you. I think like this is like you don't have the quarterback who has the arm strength, the accuracy that post, you know, past quarterbacks have had. I mean, I think if I'm Ohio State, I think you're like wishing you had Chicken Ewers back, you know? Like, but anyways, like, they do have the defense to do it. So we'll see what happens. Although, I mean, Louisville beat Notre Dame too. So who knows? Uh, anyways, going on. Much more convincingly. Yeah. Going on to the next game uh, LSU versus Missouri. Uh, LSU pulls it out 49 39. I think Missouri's up at one point in time. I don't remember the score. It was like 22 to 7. And LSU yeah. comes back to win the game. Thoughts, Brian? Yeah, for me, it's this LSU offense is still as potent as can be. And we saw it last week with Ole Miss. Um, Jaden Daniels is playing extremely good football at the moment. And, I, you know, we, we talked uh, earlier about Heisman odds and where where he falls in that. I think he should be a little bit higher because right now they can only win if they outscore people. Um, and credit to the defense, they got some stops they needed to because you can't catch up without getting a few stops. But you still gave up 39 points. I think Missouri's a good team, too. I was surprised, uh, frankly surprised Missouri didn't score more. Um, so credit to to the defense for, you know, ma- making the stops that they needed to. Overall, it's become a... I don't want to say LSU's like Tennessee of last year because their offense isn't quite that potent. That that Tennessee one was really, really special. But it's it feel, has similar feeling to it where defensively you're going to need some turnovers or a couple of splash plays that, that put it out. It's not going to be your consistent defense that's going to stop people from marching down the field. And your offense just has to keep up. You've, you've got right now two wide receivers who are playing exceptional with Malik Neighbors and, and Thomas, Brian Thomas. But I... I it makes it so hard for the rest of the season to call how LSU is going to do on any given day. Cause it's like, I don't know who's going to stop them. I also don't think they're going to stop anyone. So this is, this is what we're dealing with. And whoever can win the shootout wins the game. Yep. Steve. Um, I said in our little show notes, one sentence, I'm going to take two, one uh, first sentence, worst like beat in terms of the spread like oh gosh i had already marked that in my like phone as like yep missouri covered the spread i thought i was right on that one that whole game went exactly like how i wanted it to as far as calling them to cover brutal brutal pick six pick six at the end uh other sentences i'm speculating wildly here but like lsu's got to go back and get Corey raymond from florida right as their secondary coach hmm. They have to, right? Like, they, they? they got to fix it. Uh, I mean, you, you make the – he's from Louisiana. I think you make the money equal, he'll probably come back. I think Brian Kelly, that was a miscalculation when he got there, was saying, like, nope, I'm bringing in my own guys. 
I don't need these people from the boot. Um, mm, uh, yeah, I think you're going to need to. And I, I again, I, I don't have inf inside information on this. I would imagine they're going to try and make some sort of change, at least in, in the secondary. If not, I mean, I don't know if Matt House is going to get his, uh, you know, get his job. Yeah, maybe, maybe they hand him a pink slip, but uh, like the secondary has to be fixed. And Corey Raymond's the guy who had that secondary humming for years and years and years. And now he's starting to do the same thing at Florida. So, yeah. Interesting thoughts. I've also noticed that like the recruits from LSU that used to not leave, LSU are starting to trickle out. Yep. Brian Kelly, a bad hire? To be determined. We'll see. They might have, have three losses by the end of this year, four losses by the end of this year. We'll find out. Anything's well, on the table. Yeah. My, my, my thought process is Brady Cook had 366 passes without an interception going into this game, and he throws two. And that's the difference in the game. Like, you, yeah. you cannot turn the ball over. Um, the other thought process is, and Jaden Daniels is the most – hit quarterback uh, most abused quarterback in the entire like ncaa if you go back and watch there, uh, shador sanders I'm, wants a word but keep huh? going i said shador sanders wants a word but keep going oh no he might get sacked but jane daniels takes big hit after big hit after big hit after big hit go Fair. watch a compilation i guarantee yeah. you it's on youtube hopefully they've updated it for this missouri game of just how many big hits this guy has taken I'm not drafting this player first round. I'm sorry. Like, it's not worth it to me for a quarterback that's going to put himself in the position to get hurt. I see him being put in the first round talk. No, I'm not buying it. I don't think Jaden Daniels is like exceptional. Like, you have him as a Heisman player. I'm like, he's he's good because he can run the ball and throw the ball better than most people can throw the ball and run the ball. But I'm like, if I have to worry about a quarterback at an NFL level, I'm not taking him. So He's a better Heisman prospect than he is an NFL prospect for yeah. sure. Yeah, kind no of argument there. You know. Anyways, going on to the next game. Uh, UCLA. There's plenty of those. Eric Crouch, Colt Brennan. Yeah. Tim Tebow. Oh. We we can keep going, but we won't. James Winston. Oh, dang. Oh, anyways. Uh, UCLA 25, Washington State 17. UCLA plays some defense and some bully ball to win this game. Steve, what are your thoughts? I so I actually I didn't get eyes on this one. So um, my bad. I just. Uh, no, you're good. I just like I watched like followed along with the scorecard. This is again Pac-12 Network strikes again, so I have not had a chance to review it. But it just seemed like it was a very kind of like a, a little bit of a sloppy game between the two of them. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. I saw lots of punts. I saw a significant number of turnovers. Like, yeah. Um, so low scoring, and you know Washington State needed to be polished, and they weren't. And this was another loss for me. We'll we'll cover that on. Uh, on our prediction show this next uh, this next pod, but uh, not a good week for me in terms of, of picking against the number. And yeah, so I, I don't have a whole lot more to add than that. I haven't been able to review it just yet. Sorry. Yeah, Cam, Cam, is it Cam Ward? That's the Cam Ward. <clears throat> yeah. The show, the viewers know that I can never remember names. I just remember people. Um, so Cam Ward hadn't thrown an interception up until that season, up until that game, and he throws two in that game, and that being, ends up being significant in the game and UCLA defense kind of poses back up. It's going to be interesting because like they're four and one, you've got, uh, oh, wow. you've got you UCLA is four and one Washington state's now four and one. You've got, uh, Oregon. That's like five and oh, you have USC. That's five and oh, or so six and oh, Washington's undefeated. Still. Washington's yeah, like, do you, like, do you want the standings there? Crowded top of the, of the pac 12. 
Um, that's using their their actual numbers, but you're still going. I mean, we're, we're, we know that they're that good of teams too. So it'll be interesting to see how how this works out. Like we all had our, our ourselves Utah, Oregon, USC, and then Washington as our like top four tier, and then we had Washington State, UCLA as our next tier. Yeah, Oregon State too. Yeah, a little. Yeah, with Oregon State, will they kind of crawl up, creep up? We'll find out. Um, but I, I yeah, this we're, not, we're not wrong just yet. Just, not just yet. so, <laughs> to, 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 so here are the Pac-12 standings right now in, in terms of like conference and, and overall. So USC four and zero in the conference, Oregon two and zero in the conference, Washington two and zero in the conference. So we're right on that, right? That was those were the three that we all talked about. What right? about Utah? Utah's one and one. Yeah. Uh, Oregon State's two and one. UCLA's one and one. Washington State's one and one. So all of them with one loss. That's that was kind of that second tier that we talked about. We also um, kind of didn't expect Cam Rising to be hurt this long either. That's yeah, into the definitely. Season. I think we all finally mm-hmm. expected him to come back week three or four. And when you start playing good teams, no offense to Florida, all offense to Florida, whatever. But uh, <laughs> I thought he would play in, in Florida. I, I I mean, I saw a couple of videos of him, and he seemed pretty comfortable on that leg. Um, yeah. But, you know, anyway. Yeah, we'll have to see. But I just kind of like, like, you know, we, I think we so far have had our finger on the pulse of that better than better than other places for yeah, sure it's true oh i mean we'll see i i i missed the acc for sure um i had clemson win the acc and that's not gonna happen um alabama texas a&m you guys i think last week told me that you had a&m as the most likely to win the west i imagine that changes now <laughs> yeah we probably better stated to say the winner of that game is the favorite too because like now Alabama, yeah. I feel is 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 the clear front runner, but I just felt like this game was bungled. Like I just, yeah, there was a couple of kind of weak things from Jimbo Fisher, and you know, there are times where I, I miss that high caliber recruiting Jimbo Fisher that was at Florida State. But I I remember at the time really disagreeing with a lot of the takes, and and to give credit where credit's due, like Bud Elliott led the charge on like Jimbo Fisher being kind of out of touch with how football is really being played now and, and being driven by analytics. And, you know, baseball, I think, was the first sport to have the sport kind of revolutionized by by data and by playing by the numbers. And then basketball followed that. And football's now, I think, really kind of – I think I would say the majority of coaches at least kind of understand why analytics say certain things should happen in certain situations, what, what the decision should be. Uh, Jimbo is not one of them, <laughs> and, and I just, yeah, I feel like in in a couple of games, their decision making with regards to managing the game has has cost them. It wasn't the only thing that cost them at Miami, but I felt like they didn't step on the gas when they had opportunities to really put that game out of reach early. Um, and this one across across the board, whether it was you know punting on the opposite side of the field with just a yard to go. Uh, not trying to to score additional points at the end of the half when you had two timeouts and a little less than a minute to work with, but you know an opportunity to go up two scores and and I just felt like there were opportunities missed and um, yeah that's uh, that's one of those things you have to factor in when you're uh, considering his future going forward is like the recruiting's been great the results have not yeah, yeah for, for me it's a recruiter, and then you give someone else the head coach and duties. And have to change your <laughs> I'm sure he'd be very agreeable to that. 
Um, but but it'd, be the, it'd be the dream scenario, honestly. The hair would um, go back again. <laughs> but but yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, Steve. Is and, and there's no guarantee. Like if he calls it differently, they win. It's just I think you need to start taking some more calculated risks. And there are some fourth downs that you know what you, I think you got to go for that one. Um, and to me, it's kind of a philosophy of uh, th- there's a dice game I'll play that you score points uh, depending on what you roll with dice. And then you can risk them all or you can stop where you're at. And I feel like Jimbo always says, okay, I've got a few. I've got, you know, three points or whatever. I'm good to stop where I'm at and, and be comfortable and settle. And it's like you occasionally have to have that attitude, especially against an Alabama where you go, no, some of these things are – we're just going to have to create a very high leverage moment. And if we come out on top, our odds of winning go way up. And if we come out, on, you know, on the other side of it, maybe they go down some. But you've got to put that risk in there on occasion because – you otherwise you have to do everything right and not play them throughout the game you know moment for moment that's essentially how it's got to be the other thing i saw in this game that i think is interesting i don't know i don't know i've watched Jalen Miller all season but this game more than what i've seen in the past is he didn't secure the football a lot when he's getting tackled in the backfield he really likes to hold on one hand and just trust in that one hand and go down which i thought didn't bite him in this game but almost did but i will say play of the game well yeah, I'd say play of the game is their their last first down they get to convert to end the game. He's got a defender draped on him. I think I've got nine or ten yards to go um, to be able to get that first down and be able to knee the clock out. He throws it to his running back, who has a knee on the ground at the line of scrimmage. He bobbles it, picks up his knee, catches the ball, now with both knees off, and then runs for the first down. Uh, awesome play um, by McClellan, the running back there. And by Milro, who, again, this is a very, if you guys watch Vince Young back in the day, Vince Young would do this all the time. We'd have a guy draped all over him, just hanging on to him for a second. He'd be like, well, I'm still looking downfield. Let me hold off and I'll throw a pass. I always thought that was ill-advised and it always went pretty well for him, went really well for Jalen Milro in this situation. Um, But it does make me nervous for him getting confident in doing that uh, against some other defenses he will face, you know, like and not necessarily other defenses. Cause I think Texas A&M has a good defense, but there's a luck element there. And if somebody can get to that arm, that's a pretty free ball. Yep. Kudos to them though. They pulled it out and maybe have a good, another good receiver in Jermaine Burton, you know, 198 yards. Um, Heck of a game. If they have to, people have to double cover him, then that's going to open up the underneath running game for Alabama. We'll see where they go with this. I'm, I'm excited to see it. How they work it out. Um, moving on, Georgia. We see a real, actual, live Georgia play a game. Uh, I'm sorry. Like, they showed up. 51. They played Kentucky, and Kentucky has 13 points. Um, Ray Davis runs for, like, what, 55, 50 yards, 35 yards? I can't even remember. But if it's like, kind of interesting because, like, he had a terrible game the, the week before. Florida has a great game against Florida, and then another terrible game. So, like, maybe that he wasn't that, what people thought he was, and this Devin Leary kid isn't what they wanted. There's a reason NC State was willing to let him go, clearly. Uh, any thoughts you guys have on this game? I thought we all saw this one coming. Like, I felt like we were all over this one. Like, mm-hmm. this just felt like everyone's buying Kentucky off of a, a really impressive performance. I, again, you can kind of question, like, well, what kind of caliber team was it against? Um, but Florida's a name. Uh, and then you see Auburn – give give Georgia more fits than I think most people expected. But I just kind of 
again, it's different ways of getting of having success on the ground when you're looking at Kentucky versus Auburn. Auburn's was almost all through the QBs, and Devin Larry doesn't really scare anyone with his legs. Like, I mean, he's not a total statue, but like he's not really known for running or even scrambling to throw. Like he's just kind of more of a pocket passer. And so that wasn't the same approach. And I think a lot of people equated like, okay, this team ran the ball on them and this other team's really good at running the ball. So they'll run on them even more. No. Um, When you have to play a smash mouth style against Georgia, it doesn't usually go well. Uh, And so I I feel like we nailed this one. It was cool to see Georgia just kind of come out and play a clean game start to finish. So it's like, all right, that's, that's there. Um, we'll see if we start to see it more consistently or if this is just a flash in the pan. But that, that's really all I had to say is like, yeah, Georgia blasted Kentucky. We kind of expected it. Um, and so it's, can Georgia play at this level going forward? If they do, I think they are potentially your your college football playoff favorite. But like, like we mentioned with when Kyle joined us, like this year it seems pretty open. So Georgia needs to show me that they can do this more than just once for, for me to really believe it. But, um, you know, that's, you got, you got Georgia's best and Georgia's best is extremely good. I need to call myself out as one who didn't foresee this coming. And it's not so much on the result of Georgia winning. It was on the way that they won. Uh, to me, I've been very unconvinced by Georgia throughout the year. This is the first time they covered the point spread all season long. And we just watched them against Auburn. Um, to me, the 13 points by Kentucky isn't surprising. The 51 from Georgia is. Uh, I would have expected yeah. 27. You know, like, like kind of what I've been seeing from them this year has not been someone who can put up those points. And what they did in this game is kind of let Carson Beck loose a little bit. And he started to spread the ball around. Brock Bowers had a heck of a game, yes. But it wasn't like last week where, where I should say two weeks ago, where you needed Brock Bowers in order to, to win that game. He spread the ball around. Other people got involved. Um, and he showed kind of why he was uh, always going to be the quarterback at, at Georgia. He was the name that was always brought up and there was a competition short, but that was the one that everybody said, Oh, this guy's, this guy's going to take the job. And today you see, Oh, this is probably the talent that they're seeing in practice that you go, that that's what's going to be. Um, he's still young. He's still got time to expand his role, but a, a really good performance from him. And you start to see the potential of what the high end of this Georgia team could be if their offense is functioning that way. It's impressive. So I, I Again, call myself out for not seeing Georgia put up the points that they did and an impressive performance that, just like Steven said, we're going to need to see, does this get duplicated or is this uh, flash in the pan for a second and it goes back to early season Georgia? And against a Mark Stoops defense, the defensive mind that a lot of us kind of respect. Yeah. Um, I'm putting words in your mouth. Uh, Louisville beats Notre Dame 33-20. to Brian. Um. Awesome. So, so to me, the, the immediate thing I started to do is go, okay, does Louisville have a better resume than Ohio State? And I started to go through the, the wins of each team. Uh, the answer is no, not quite. They, they have a more convincing best win at this point of the season, but uh, not, as, not quite the dominance that Ohio State has had. This one surprised me a lot. Um, and the reason being is I thought Louisville is not very good. I, I'm still not convinced that they're super good, but Plummer's better than I you know, I, I think Steven talked earlier in the season about he, he, Plummer's pretty decent. And I was kind of like, ah, I'm, I'm not convinced by him. I think he had a really good game here today or today, this uh, last weekend. Um, Notre Dame just looks toothless and they never got the run game going, which was kind of their, their bread and butter to start the season off. 44 Hartman, yards. 
They ran for yeah. 44 yards. And they were all over Hartman all day. I think had five sacks on the day. Um, really impressive performance by by Brahms boys. You know, like I think Louisville did much better than I anticipated. And now, now they've elevated in a major way what I think their ceiling is for the season. I always thought they had a chance of having a pretty good record because the record or not the record, their schedule wasn't super tough going into the season. Now I go, okay, there's some pretty quality play and quality coaching going on as well. The other question is Notre Dame. How many games do you lose going forward? You, you know, the, the tough games have been stacking up against them to, to their credit. You know, it's not easy to play tough game week in, week out. And they've had Ohio state and they've had Duke and uh, it's another big game that I'm forgetting, but you have Louisville and now you've got USC coming up. You have Clemson later on the season. It's a, it's a tough go that they have and their defense still looks good. Uh, they really needed to get a new offensive coordinator in the offseason and start to really, really show. Yeah. I mean, they throw for three interceptions in the game. The game gets pretty much put on the quarterback's shoulders. Not not from a play calling perspective, but from a need to make a play just because the running backs don't do anything. And yeah, the question I guess is, do the wheels fall off of uh, fall off? I mean, does this team start to go eight and four? I mean, that's what Vegas had the line at. But I mean, a lot of people didn't expect that. And do we see them kind of going eight and four, or whatever else? I personally do. Like, I, I think. Not wheels fall off as in like they look a disaster, but I think with the teams that they play, yeah, it's just you know you would have hoped for better, but at this point I don't see you having the offensive firepower to keep up with the USC. Clemson will be interesting because Clemson has has had its own offensive struggles. Um, Speaking of wheels falling off, other teams, I don't know if you have anything else to say on that game, Steve, but if you do or not, or if you do, we'll let you say it. If you're not, yeah, let me jump in just real quick. Um, I don't know what it is. Sam Hartman loves throwing to Louisville. <sighs> this was last year. He threw three picks to them. And this year he threw what? Three again. Yeah. Is that right. Yeah. yeah. Something about it. Like something about that red. I don't know if he's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. He loves Might throwing been a high school color. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what I was trying to think. I was like, like yeah, we're, <laughs> what was this high school? But I just pulled that up real quick, and I was like, "It was Louisville that turned him over a thousand times, right?" Like, yes, yes. So he had three, uh, three interceptions uh, last year. I think he even fumbled in that game too. So like, just not, not great. Um, yeah, and it's a shame that now he's never like. Yeah, this is the last year of eligibility. Otherwise, I'd know if he plays Louisville on the road. Just, just expect him to just have an awful night. Like. Um, but yeah, that that was. I mean, I didn't get too many eyes on that game, frankly. I just saw a couple of like, a couple of highlights there. But um, yeah, we'll see. I, I I think when we previewed this game, we talked about this being a potential letdown spot for Notre Dame. Just you know, big game against Ohio State a couple of weeks ago, and that one ends in disappointment. Another big game against Duke on the road. This is your back-to-back road games, and are you going to be emotionally and physically exhausted? Yeah. I, I am a little surprised that they're favored against Southern Cal. Um, did you guys see that? Like, I mean, we'll talk about that on our next episode. But I am I'm a little surprised, but also maybe not. Just again, we haven't talked about USC yet, but um, I don't know. It's just that's that's a lot to go through. And you're right, I could see some losses piling up for Notre Dame. Yeah. So, like I said, speaking of teams that have the a potential that the wheels fall off based off their next schedule, let's go to Miami and Georgia Tech. We kind of touched on it a little bit at the beginning. Poor play calling. 
let's be honest, the poor playing it up until like the last two drives from Miami perspective, like they aren't able to do much. Um, and then they put themselves in a position to win and you, you have the fumble, but then you still allow the team to go 74 yards in, was it 24, six seconds? Come on, 26 guys. seconds. Can, Actually 24 because they scored with two seconds left. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. And Kitchens lets a player behind him, you know, you can't do that. Like people say he's a first round NFL talent. This is starting to become a habit. Like, let's be real. We've seen this happen multiple times. Yeah, this but, is, I mean, I've seen a lot of national media saying, like, this is the most embarrassing coaching call I've ever seen. And to me, I don't know if I've seen a bigger one. I, I turned to a different channel. I stopped watching that game and started following other games. And then I texted the two of you and said, oh, my gosh, I just saw the score for that game. How did Miami lose? Uh, because th- there were three downs you could have kneeled. I, like it wasn't yeah. just like the one run play you did. Was Th- there down. was multiple. Yeah. And there was no timeouts. Uh, yeah. Th- there were multiple yeah. plays that you should have been kneeling and you can do the whole delayed kneel where you take a snap and you, you know, waste two, three seconds on the clock and let them run after you. Like that is a, a well trodden path of victory and they refused to do it. And they paid the ultimate price in, super unlikely circumstances like even still there needed to be a miracle performed but guess what it was and now your coach has to keep his locker room together because it is really hard for me as a player to say okay i get that we had a bad day but we finished the game we got the first downs we needed to to knee it out that that's that's just brutal so and then so so a I won't go too much longer, but Miami's now own one in the ACC, right? We were looking at them probably going into this game and up to this point in the season saying impressive win over Texas A&M, everybody else, you've looked the part, you know, you you haven't had tough teams you've played, but you've been dominant in the game. So it doesn't matter. You're showing that you're taking care of business. And so they would have been totally in the ACC race for the ACC title. And now you go, you guys can't afford another loss. You need to go undefeated in the ACC and you have UNC next week. And you have Clemson the week after, and you've got Virginia, NC State, and then you've got Florida State, and then you have Louisville. Louisville, and then Boston College to finish it off. That's a brutal conference slate, and and you need to win every last one of those games to make it to the ACC title game. Like you just completely shot. You you had a mulligan. If you had won this game, you can win three of those four big ones you got on the schedule, really, and lose one, and you're probably still making an ACC title game. Now you've got to go perfect and it's just going to be tough because your other ACC foes, FSU doesn't play UNC and Louisville. UNC doesn't play Louisville or doesn't play Louisville either. So they all have the path to go undefeated in the ACC potentially. Miami has to play all three of them. It's, it's, it turns the, the, uh, the projection of what the ACC is going to look like. ACC title can be for Miami totally on its head and really rough spot to do it. Steve? Okay, like, just, can I just let out just, like, a cackle of this thing? <laughs> Steve practicing his <laughs> Oh, so I, yeah, exactly. No, like, sometimes when I try and get my little daughter to laugh, I practice different evil laughs, and, you know, like, I, I think in another life I could be a voice actor, but then I listen to these podcasts and I hear how annoying my voice is. 
but we all <laughs> yeah i know i'm so sorry i meant hear um, knowing your voices yeah exactly oh yeah yeah i know <laughs> i know um so yeah i mean to me like everyone can say like oh yeah they did everything to win the game and, and, and that i guess is technically true right like but i mean tyler van dyke looked lost in this game he, like i watched most of it I, I i'll tell you like maybe like brian kind of shared how how his experience was with this game like, i was just like sort of keeping tabs on it here and there when it looked like miami had started to open up a little bit of a lead um i was like okay maybe that's enough football so enough football for the day and so my wife and i started playing a card game and i was right as we started like i, I had shuffled a couple times and i was like you know i'll have my phone on me right and I noticed, like, hey, uh, Georgia Tech actually just took the lead off of another one of Miami's turnovers. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll have it on on my phone, but no volume on. And I'll just check in on it here and there as we're playing. And that's kind of how it went. I was just kind of, like, watching it. And then I can't remember what happened there. I think there was some sort of call that we were trying to understand. I was like, hold on. Like, he's they're explaining it. Let me turn up the volume for a second. And I think I was, like, with two or three minutes left. We just left the volume on for the rest of the time. And then, yeah, sure enough, Tim Hasselbeck's like, why are they not kneeling the ball? He's all over it. I just, like, I love the timing is just, for someone who is not a Miami fan, is just glorious in terms of he's just, like, all over. He's like, Coach Steph, you don't need to take this risk. And boom, it happens. Now, number one, I'm pretty sure he's down. Can we talk about that? Like, I am pretty sure he's down. I refuse Um, to believe that he's down. That was a fumble. I'm pretty sure he's down, but like I, I understand why the call stood on the field. Yeah, like, you can't see the ball. It just yeah, you can't would've... see the ball when his elbow's down. It's probably still in his chest. I I think it's still there. I'm I'm actually very confident. Might bet my life on it, but I can't see it. Right? Uh, and he fumbles, and just yeah, I, I almost don't even fault the defense because they probably just thought the game was over. Like uh, I just feel I feel bad for them because they like you know I'm sure all the helmets were off. They're just joking around with, I'm sure they were doing this, you know, and, and who could blame them? Like, uh, and man, just, oh, for, for someone who hates Miami, that is a, an especially sweet one. Uh, yeah. So we were watching it and I was like, no way are they going to blow this game? They fumble and I'm, I'm watching it. My wife's like, she, she's come over to the by side of the table. She's like, you want to pull it up on the TV? I was like, no, by the time we will, the game will be over. Let's just watch it here. And so, um, yeah, that, that that deep pass, like, oh my gosh, he's open. And then he almost slid, like, like I mean, Georgia Tech did some things to almost lose this game, too. Like, between that and, like, the earlier pick where they had a chance, they were up 17-10, and, and Tyler Van Dyke throws a pick, right? Throws it behind his guy. I think it was an option route, and they just didn't, didn't, didn't connect. Like, the wide receiver saw something different. Throws it behind the receiver. It's picked, and it's returned to, like, the 20. Like, if he cuts back on Tyler Van Dyke, like, no one else is there. He's going to score. Like, there, there's an offensive lineman giving chase, I think. But it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, you had enough time to maybe slow your gait for a second, take stock of what's going to your right, and then just, you know, like, Tyler Van Dyke had the angle. You probably had an opportunity to cut back and, and house that. And then the game's different, too. So that's that's the part that, to me, is being glossed over where it's, like, yeah, yeah, they did win, but like Georgia Tech bungled a bunch of this game too and kept this thing. Yeah, you talk about like, oh, well, it was close enough for Georgia Tech to strike. Yeah, but also like Georgia Tech kept Miami in this game for stretches of it as well. Like, so 
really interesting. Uh, surprising. Again, I had Miami covering the spread here. I thought you were going to get a really strong performance out of them. Uh, it will be interesting to see what teams can mimic what they did defensively to, to mess with Miami. Um, so we'll see if that happens. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, also, I can't remember who I saw this from first. I saw it a bunch of places. So obviously people are aggregating it, but like, Chris Wall doesn't have a home conference win. Did you guys know that? Well, uh, yeah. Nope. New no information this week. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have a home ACC win. <laughs> I mean, they probably will get one at Virginia in a couple or with Virginia coming to town in a couple weeks. But I mean, is, is it off the table that they could lose that game? I don't know. At this point, I don't trust them to win anything. Come on, but I also, they're a really good team. Like they just can't get out of their own way sometimes. So yeah. Also, did you see the wild. fact that they beat like Miami of Ohio, Miami Ohio, spin Bowling Green, Bowling Green, <laughs> Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech? Like, oh, that's like, anyways, let's start college football. Oh yeah, I love college football. All right, um, let's move on to Arizona USC. Let's try and touch on this a little bit quick, pretty quickly. Triple overtime. Arizona's up seventeen nothing. USC's able to come back, make it a game. Misses a thirty-yard field goal. I'm looking I, I, on both Miami. I left to go to the grocery store when they got the first, they got the first down and then I, my phone blew up on this one. They get into field range and I look down, I'm like feeding my, my kid and I'm just like, whatever. I'm not feeding my kid. What am I doing? I'm on my phone. And I look down and I look up and I'm like, holy crap, he missed it. What? Rewind. And we're going to triple overtime. Um, yeah. Kind of insane. What are you guys thought? There were several times in this game where I thought, Arizona is finally going to be the team that says the emperor's got no clothes on, but they're not quite able to, to finish the job. USC keeps their perfect record up to this point, but this is what we've seen from USC all season long and they get away with it. And there's, you know, a lot of people have been, there were some coaching gaffes on both sides and a lot of people have been harping on Arizona, not going for two in that first overtime Obviously, they lost the game on a two-point conversion, so like, there's no guarantees that you win. But I think you got to take that opportunity. But this is they didn't I make mean, either two-point conversion, so maybe it wasn't the right call. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, um, but otherwise, you're going shot for shot against Caleb Williams and seeing if you can win that, and that that's just tough. Um, what would this USC team look like without Caleb Williams? I, I think that is a a real question because. <sighs> There's just a lot that's lacking there um, and, and a lot of errors that they have. And defensively, they let up a lot of points and they don't always start fast. They don't finish things off, certainly. Um, I, anyway, I, I think this is more of the same from USC. And it looked like Arizona is finally going to be the one where the gig is up, but it, it continues on. USC gets to go undefeated against Notre Dame. I don't know. I don't know that I have anything else to add on that one. Yeah, no worries. Um... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a victory lap. We were right on the money with Noah Fafita. I think that guy is a better player. Like, um, I think he's better than Delora. I don't know if Delora plays again because that, and I thought he played a pretty impressive game. You know, made some mistakes, right? The pick six gets him in the game. Like, it gets gets USC on the board. Um, I what now? I'm my bigger concern is with Jed Fish. Uh, honestly, I think he's a great offensive coach. But the fact that he, one, didn't know the overtime rules was was a little concerning to me. Yeah. Two, after, you know, his, I think it was his Monday press conference, so I don't think it was the post-game one, but he said, if I had known the rules, I still would have 
not gone for two in the first one. Oh, I I hate that. I, like, I mean, you, uh, yeah, I, I didn't like it. I felt like you could have gone right back to what you did to tie the game because they had to get eight points to tie the game. They were down 28-20. And I like Tate Roa McMillan against anyone one-on-one. So a similar play, he's got a big enough body. He can go up and get a pass. And it's, again, Fifita is his high school QB. They have years of chemistry and uh, would have would have liked to have seen something a little bit different from their two-point play, but most importantly, would have wanted to see it in the first overtime. I was texting my brother-in-law, and he was kind of asking me about this. It was kind of during the game. We're going back and forth, and um, I guess maybe shortly shortly after the game, because he texted me first about Miami, um, but like I was just like, you know, if you if you understand how the game works, and again, he's their coach clearly didn't. Um, but in in the first overtime, like if you go second and you the the other team scored a touchdown and you score a touchdown, you're gonna have to use that two point play in the next overtime anyway. You might as well use your best one then when it can win you the game, especially when you're going against Caleb Williams, where it's like he he doesn't get to decide the game. We do, we do right now. And, and their defense does even better for me. Like that is the, that's the point that I, I would have said is like, you know, it's you, you're giving me a shot and I, I can choose to either let USC's offense play more or, or USC's defense decide the game. That to me is an open and shut case. Like, I, of course I want to go against that defense. It's terrible. It's not any good. Um, and you know, the, the one thing, the other thing I'll quibble with is like when they did do their two point try, they had some success with that toss with the with the pulling guard in front of it, but it was always on a down where there was both the threat of the run and the pass and not in a short yardage and condensed field situation. That was the part that was upsetting to me. It was like, you've ran this play enough that they're going to recognize it. Could you have done a wrinkle off of it and maybe done that same action and pulled out your tight end to the right? I think you could have done something where it's like you show that same look, but instead of tossing it, it's a fake toss and then let Fifita roll out, either run or throw to the tight end uh, on, on, you know, the, the tight end lining up next to the right tackle. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to have seen that. I'm sure that that's probably baked in somewhere. I'm sure he has wrinkles off of that play. Maybe he just didn't think he needed to break it out. But to me, where that play had been very successful throughout the game, it was always on like a second and five. Well, and a second and five near midfield where there's the defense has to... When they, were, when, when they drove down and got into the red zone. They were running all over them, and then they got into the red zone. Like, this is when they went up to tie the game. They couldn't run the ball, and so they ended up having to throw it. I think it was like a fourth down throw to, to tie the game because they kept trying to run the ball. It already proved itself that it couldn't work. I don't understand why you try and do it again. But. Yeah, there's there's some frustrating things there. Again, I, I'm still bullish on Arizona. I think that the program's going in the right direction. I mean, they lost a five-star commit today, which is not great, but um, – yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. One of the things I, I was kind of interested in was the – the uh, the decision to go for the fifty yard field goal with two fifteen left and miss it and give USC an option opportunity to win it. I thought I'm like I normally would not punt this ball on this. This is something I'd go for, but with this game and with how my how my players have played man to man against USC in this entire game, I mean I've held USC to twenty eight points. I'm gonna make Caleb Williams drive the whole field, not just not not the chance that I might win because I don't think the high I don't think you have a high probability. I think this is a, that's a 50-50 shot at best that you're going to make a 50-yarder. It's the kid's career long, I think, is what they said at the time. 
And so I think I would have punt, punted that and, and said, go the whole field and, and we'll play for overtime. Uh, see, I, I actually was fine with that decision. That was the one I, I didn't like. Gosh, now I'm forgetting. I think on third down, they kind of did it. I'm going to forget. I'm not going to remember this correctly, but I think they kind of played for the field goal for in those last couple of downs, which was a little disappointing. I would have been continued to be aggressive, but knowing where it was on the field where it's like, all right, this is a makeable field goal. It's not impossible for us to hit this. And, and if you hit it, then you force Caleb Williams to potentially go the whole field, right? Yes, so, if you do. Um, and so to me, like going for the win there, I, I don't have any problem with that. Um, and, and if anything, it's like, all right, if we do it and we miss here, it shortens the amount of time that Caleb Williams has to, or, or I mean, it shortens the field. So he might leave some clock for us to potentially go and, and score as well if they score too fast, which USC can score in, in the blink of an eye. So um, I don't know. I, I, I there, There's a lot I could continue to say. I think we wanted to keep this one quick. I feel like Arizona had a, a lot of opportunities in this game. They didn't quite fully take advantage of. Uh, again, I'm bullish on what they're doing. I think they're building something pretty cool in, in Tucson and, and that the people should be maybe a little frustrated. They didn't get this one across the finish line, but nevertheless encouraged by what's going, you know, by what's going on. Um, yeah, they played some really, really stingy defense and, and made Caleb Williams as a passer alone look kind of average at times. Like he's a special player, right? But most of his plays that he made this, this game were on the run, like, and not just yep. even like running to pass. They were running plays, including their awesome, awesome two-point conversion in, in third overtime, which was just like, oh my gosh, we're, we literally have a play where it's like, oh, we're going to go like two on three and let Caleb Williams just make some guy look silly, like, which was pretty impressive. So, um, you know, I, again, I think he's he's a really fantastic player, but I yeah, there's holes in, in USC's defense, but also maybe a few on their offense as well. Uh, so we'll see if others can recreate this. I'm sure Oregon's looking at this tape saying we have better athletes and better defensive linemen. Like we, we can do something similar. Yeah. All right. Well, that about wraps up the games we plan on covering today. Um, Party shots. Anybody got something that they want to share? I mean, I feel like we've sent quite, quite a few Mario Cristobal's way, but uh, I'll send a few just, more. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. I, I basically said, um, I've been saying it all year long. If there's coaches that will lose you a game, they are Cristobal. They are Sarkeesian. Um, I think Cristobal did. Sarkeesian played a little bit conservative at the end. Um, let's add Jimbo Fisher to that list. If there's a game that you can lose, we'll add him to that list. So, but fun game, not impressive coaching decisions by the couple of coaches there. Anything else, Steve? Uh, I saw a tweet, and I, I wish I had it right in front of me so I could give the person who whoever came up with it credit, but it's like, so it was like Mario Cristobal kneels to no man. Like, <laughs> it's true. So, oh, well done, whoever that was. Um, man, that it's funny. It's like there's a couple of places where the chickens are coming home to roost. I feel like A&M is one, Miami is one where the places that those coaches left had some criticisms of that coach that initially sounded like sour grapes. But now in retrospect, things are starting to look like, eh, maybe, maybe there's a little bit more validity to those gripes than we at first thought. I appreciate you. Uh, I think, is, did you tweet Al Golden, Al Golden would have that? 
Yes. <laughs> well, it was on like a, a thread where people were saying like somebody would have nailed that. Somebody would have nailed that. Yeah. Uh, like I, they were going through other Miami coaches where I was like, um, gosh, who was it? Oh, it was like, yeah, Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz would have nailed it. But I was like, Al Golden would have nailed it. And I think someone <laughs> else jumped to jump to um, gosh, to Randy Shannon. Randy Shannon, Randy Shannon would have nailed that. We were just gonna go all the way back to their history. <laughs> Anything else from you, Brian? Nah, I mean, I. I... I've thoroughly enjoyed everything I've seen on X, everything we've mentioned in this podcast, but it cannot be highlighted enough that that is just the most embarrassing thing. And as a recruit, like that to me, that should be the sign. It's like, oh, you can lose me the game straight out. Like I, <laughs> that, that is Nine bad news. Like, I want to be a part of that team. <laughs> yeah. Got a commitment immediately afterwards. And it's like, and I think some Miami fans on, you know, on social media are trying to say like, oh, well that saves some of it. It's like, hmm. You get 25 commits a year, you get only so many wins. Like, <laughs> Well, that, that rule's going away, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, like, it, it, just, just before we wrap here, it's like that mentality, um, you know, the, the people that watch recruiting rankings, and it's like it's almost more important than winning games. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie There Will Be Blood. Are you familiar with that one? No. It's about like an oil baron uh, in early, like the early 1900s of California, and uh, you know it's. I'm pretty sure uh, Daniel Day Lewis wins the Oscar for playing this guy, but like at one point he's in an interview and he's talking about this character who's just like so obsessed with like, you know, drilling oil, getting oil, being successful, and he's like at some point getting the oil is actually more important than the oil itself, and so like I feel like those are the people that you know a lot of Miami fans right now are like, oh, well, we're recruiting really well. But the whole point of recruiting well is so that you win games. It's to win, and, yeah. And you just lost the game where you've significantly out-recruited Georgia Tech for the last 50 years, and you lost. And, yeah, one more one more parting shot I'll go. Cam Kitchens really made his name last year on Georgia Tech with three interceptions in that game, and he really lost a lot of it today. Like, I understand first game back from a pretty potentially scary injury there, but – yeah, he was a consensus All-American last year, and I thought, like, oh, that was the only really great game he played. And now it's like, well, this year he can't hang his hat on Georgia Tech, so he'll have to go make plays in other games. So, well, I'm yeah. sure Drake May's licking his chops looking at this next week. For sure. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Speaking of recruiting, did anybody else also notice that they had more recruits and players on the side of their of the field than they did in the entire stadium almost? <laughs> It's definitely more densely that? populated. Yeah, yeah. yeah they forgot to crop that photo before they posted uh, yes. the recruiting section. You can see the section that's on the field, and it's full of recruits, and you can see the stands immediately behind it, the front rows of the stadium, vacant. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be it for us tonight. Uh, thanks for joining us. Please follow us on our, on our socials. Be sure to like my drawings, because I work really, really hard out of them. Um, also... Uh, if there's a game that we're not covering that you wish we recovered, I know we didn't talk about the Michigan game. We didn't talk about Florida State. We didn't talk, talk about a couple of them. Feel free to let us know what games you want us to cover, and we'll, we'll keep an eye out for them. Thank you. That's it for us tonight. Take care.